Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth. Consistently, I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. You take care of the customer, the customer takes care of you. I've always had a philosophy of find them, keep them, and get them to spend more money. Today on episode 530 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the owner of Ogburn's Business Solutions, Terry Ogburn. I'm going to ask Terry how he combines data and human dynamics to create long-term business success and much more. You can find out more about Terry along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are here to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at YourSiteHub.com. That's YourSiteHub.com. Now let's welcome Terry Ogburn. Terry is the owner of Ogburn's Business Solutions. He has developed a business development process that helps entrepreneurs and business owners learn the importance of working on your business instead of being caught up in the day-to-day grind. Terry's unique system and personal devotion to the development of others have contributed to the excess of hundreds of small to large business ventures. Terry, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, David. And thank you again for having me on your show. And I'm proud to be here. My pleasure. And I know that you have a very long history in business and dealing with uh, entrepreneurship issues. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your own career and specifically what has led you to focus on helping entrepreneurs and business owners with business development? Okay, great. Uh, Good question. My career started, I was fired out of the car business. I was uh, somewhat successful in in the sales arena and I got fired. And uh, so laying there thinking about what I could do, so to speak, and I come up with the idea of starting an air conditioning company. And so I paid up all my bills. I had $118 left. And so I embarked on, on that journey and led to mentors, getting people involved in what my dreams were, my aspirations. I'd always paint my goals, you know, put my goals out there. And so along about 1985, after I'd gone through a lot of working in your business concepts, I was a technician that, you know, knew about working on air conditioners, but I didn't really understand about how to run a business. So I started gaining some uh, momentum and some knowledge. And so I put together this system that was working for me in the air conditioning service business. So I said, well, what happens if I was to take this on the road? So in 1985, I started helping other young businesses, ventures like myself, entrepreneurs, people who were starting their business. And so this process just got better and better. And so after 10 years in the air conditioning business, I decided to sell the business to my employees, which... David, is the greatest thing you can do is sell to your own employees because it's it's a very smooth sale. And I took uh, and I went into the corporate arena and I started working the system into places like, you know, Globe Travel, AT&T Wireless, Radio Shack, some of the bigger companies. And all and it worked in all the systems, you know, worked in all these in these different companies. So in 2005, when the market took a downturn, I figured that the only people that would raise this economy back to normal would be the small business owner. So I took open my business in December of 2005. And over 14 years later, here I am. Wow. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is that as part of what you have done, 
is you have created a particular system that you have been able to replicate in multiple environments. Correct. And whether it be in retail, whether it be door to door, online, it doesn't matter. It can be any facet of business because it's all based on infrastructure and how to look at your business from the top down rather than growing up in it as a technician. Mm. So what are some of the basic elements of this system? What's the framework? Well, you would start with a primary aim. You have to have an overall goal. I like to break goals into 90-day periods. So you have like a five-year dream, and then you have a one-year goal, and then you have a 90-day execution plan. And so you put that together. That's your primary aim. Then you have a a set of principles that uh, include things like inbound marketing, outbound marketing, communication, how uh, organizational uh, facets are like job descriptions, things like that. Then you have an organizational strategy. And my strategy is to have your customer be the boss. So you turn your organizational chart upside down and you empower the frontline people to, to make as many decisions as they can without bothering the people who are busy working on the business, creating the systems, the programs, the trainings that make that happen. And then you have a people plan, how you're going to treat your people, how you're going to manage your business, how the systems you need to put in place, a marketing strategy, and then an overall customer service strategy. I think the customer should be the the most important part of any any business. You take care of the customer, the customer takes care of you. I've always had a philosophy of find them, keep them, and get them to spend more money. What's behind the having the frontline people be the decision makers? That doesn't sound like it's the way most businesses operate. No, it isn't because they, uh, they're afraid of – they're into micromanaging or uh, warlording, whatever you want to call it. But when you're in power, you're in place. Think of it this way, David. Okay, you got a frontline person. Let's say he's making $12 an hour. Okay, and so he runs into a problem with a customer that he can't handle. Then he's got to go get his manager. Now, his manager is making $20 an hour. So it takes us an hour to fix this problem. So how much money did we spend? $32. Right. Well, if we create a system that makes that never happen again, then we're getting that same problem solved in the future for $12 an hour. Now, if that that problem can't be solved by mental management, and they got to take it to the regional level or up higher. Now you're getting a guy involved that's making sixty, seventy dollars an hour. So the more the the higher people you bring in to solve your problems, the more money it's costing you to fix these problems. So create a solution, create a system or a process that makes uh, empowers the frontline person to take care of the problem. Give you a really quick example. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. We're Radio Shack days. The managers were you know, really couldn't make any decision. If you had a receipt to come back, you know, if you had a stuff that came back and they had a receipt, great. If they had a product of ours but didn't have a receipt, then they got a store credit. So the managers, you know, would stick to their guidelines. Well, when the customer comes in, they didn't like those guidelines, so they would, you know, cause enough problem to get to the regional level. So then the regional person gets involved. So you got the store manager involved and you got the regional manager involved now. Okay, so now you're, these guys are making you know $8,500 an hour when you put it all together. So we thought, well, wait a minute, let's, make a, let's give the managers a right to make a decision based on $50. So if the product coming back to satisfy the customer, if their cost on it was less than $50, the manager had a right to make the decision, make the call, whether to just give it to the customer and, and write it off on the as a you know off on the inventory, but keep the customer is far more important. Right. 
Because even if you lose the sale on a $50 item, if you're spending hundreds of dollars to solve the problem, you're losing. Exactly. And it big all, time. Yeah, big time. And, and most companies don't understand that uh, when they're working, they're not working for just uh, like a P&L will tell them, okay, you made 20%. But the P&L doesn't teach you that the taxes that you have to pay on that. So you're making a 20% profit. But if you're not taking in consideration the taxes at the end of the year, you're reaching in your pocket to pull the taxes out. So there's a lot of things that we want to pass on to the customer so we don't have to absorb that cost. Right. So it sounds like in a lot of the framework that you've developed and all of these systems and processes, there's some very data-driven analysis that has to do with use of labor, um, time and cost of labor, and the actual dollars and cents of every aspect of the P&L. Exactly. Uh, and you get and you learn this, you know, with my with working with me. I teach you something even more than a P and L. Uh, it's a performa, which is a way to forecast your sales and uh, your expenditures, so you can dial in your profit, David. You can actually set yourself up for a ten percent net net after taxes, and you can and drive for it. And I've taken many a clients right to that level where they all they have to do is dial it in, forecast it, and then just just uh, watch the sales come in and watch the dollars that go out. But Terry, what happens if you're in an industry that's not a high profit margin industry? Well, then you have to adjust through something else, whether it be like you, uh, can you give me an example of an industry you're talking about? Yeah, like um, non-union construction, as an example, particularly the, the smaller, smaller size projects, they're often not particularly profitable. I think of um, various kinds of uh, food and beverage. Okay. Like restaurants are often very low margin. Exactly. And, you're, right, and many of them go out of business really quickly. Exactly. Okay, I get where you're going with that. Okay, first of all, in restaurants, we need to focus on the amount of food costs versus uh, the labor cost. So in that particular industry, you would, you would be more concerned. You want to make sure that those two elements of your business are in line and in, in tune with each other. So if you're supposed to spend 20% in and uh, labor cost against 30% food cost, there's where our variables will be. So that's where we keep it, keep it in line. You keep proportions, like in restaurants. Another thing that uh, most restaurants don't do is they don't portion control. So they don't take and say, okay, three ounce, how much, this is a cost of three ounces of beef, and how much do I have to add to it to make a profit? Most people, when they go into business, they just pick numbers basically out of the air, and they say, oh, the restaurant down the street is selling it for $2. Why can I sell it for $2? Well, your overhead may be more or less. Construction, like you just mentioned, I've got a construction company that I work with. And Ben, you know, Stefan and I have been together for over 10 years now. And we started, he was making uh, around a million a year, somewhere a million and a half a year. He's at 15 million a year now because of being able to put systems in place that he can bid when he's bidding his systems. He's bidding it at a, at a fair price, knowing that there's going to be chargebacks coming in. Where, where the construction industry uh, people fail, they they allow the customer to see that, that they're, they're too cheap, in other words. So the customer is leery of that. So if you bid it straight like you're supposed to, there's always going to be back charges. So you don't have to worry about that. But a lot of companies don't pick up on those chargebacks. David as well, they'll Customer come in and say, "Why don't you change the sink over to uh, a double sink?" 
Oh, okay, don't talk about it. It's just a matter of a few minutes of labor. No, it's a big expense in uh, changing the sink because you bid it at one price and, you know, customer talks you into something else and you don't charge for the, you don't upcharge. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Terry, this uh, work that you've described is very data-driven. How challenging is it to implement some of these systems and processes into existing businesses when you're dealing with the human dynamics? It takes a little time to break some habits, uh, David. You're absolutely correct. But if the if the person wants to grow his business and, and build a solid foundation, something he can pass on to somebody in his family, or if he wants to sell it later on, these systems actually make it a much easier sell. It's going to be a lot of work in the beginning, just like a space shuttle trying to get off the ground. It's got to have a lot of more you know, thrust to get it out of the past the Earth's atmosphere. But once these systems get in place, you can maneuver it much like the space shuttle is done with a joystick. Mm. So, Terry, for the kind of work that you do, who is your ideal client? Anybody that's that's looking to develop. my When you look at one of my business cards, David, it doesn't say consultant. It doesn't say coach. It says business development because I think that I should contribute to the bottom line of your business. And if I'm making you money, then obviously you will keep me. I've got clients. Um, I don't know the, if I can mention them, but Marine Max, for an example, the largest boat company in the United States. I've been with them for 10 years. The construction company in Chicago, uh, I've been with them for about 12 years now. So, um, and then numerous other clients that I've got for, you know, three, four, five years. But that's my my thing is, is find somebody that's going to contribute to your bottom line and help you make money. And that's what separates me. That's a niche that I decided to do. A little different than, than most people. Right. And, and so what do you call yourself? Like you meet somebody at a cocktail party and say, hey, Terry, what do you do? I help businesses grow. Pretty simple. Yeah, pretty simple. You know, most people don't need a whole lot of information. I think we, we inundate them with, with too much fluff and duff. So I just help business grow. I contribute to the bottom line of your company. And, you know, I'd like to talk to you. It's been an hour together and see what happens. Sounds good. Is there a typical stage that the business is in that works really well for the kinds of system and process implementation that you discussed? You bet. It's, it's Everybody knows a bell curve. Right. And what's good for me is a, a company that's in that just startup getting started stage up to about two or three years. Uh-huh. That's when I can come in and really help them in that, that first couple of years of spurt. Once they get past three years, they start to uh, get into this uh, adolescence behavior where they know more than everybody else. And so you, as long as they're in the adolescence mode where they're the smartest one in the group, I really can't help them until they f- get back on the other side of the curve where they realize they really need to call somebody in to help. So about the sixth or seventh year. So between the first three years and after six or seven is usually where I where I come in is the best. Yeah, that's actually a really uh, fascinating description that that is those two time periods. Yeah, one of the ways that I, I describe folks that probably fit the same profile is they they need help, they know they need help, they're willing to get the help, listen to the help, and pay for the help. Okay, yep, spell it like that. Yep. Because and if they don't have all of those, then they're probably not in a position to be helped. Exactly. And and as long as, you know, it's just like a teenager, as long as they're uh, they're in that, I'm, you know, know it all, I've got it all. Like I think in my bio, it talks about one of the things that I work on with clients is ego. 
Uh, I just get a quick story here for you. I was working with a lady out in uh, Oklahoma and she was formulating this, uh, her business, her website, and her putting her whole thing together. So she gets her domain name and she's getting ready to uh, get her, uh, ask for a business card type thing. And she asked me, she says, what should I put on my business card, president or CEO? And my advice to her was put neither. And she said, what? And I said, well, uh, I said, what if you run into a CEO at a cocktail party and they ask you a CEO question and you don't have the answer? So be careful what you put on your card because somebody you might run into somebody might want to ask you a CEO question type thing, you know, or a presidential question. So just put nothing on it. And, you know, just if uh, they say anything, just say, well, my name is Vaden Danielson and the company is Vaden Inc. I think they'll get it. Yeah, Terry, what do you put on your business card? Business development, Terry Ogren, business development. That's it. They don't need, if they want to talk to me, it should be that you have a conversation, you set up an appointment and you, um, you spend some time together, get to know each other, just like you did with me before we got on the call. You spent a couple of three minutes with me getting, getting to kind of get a feel for me. I'm sure that was what you kind of get a level of energy kind of thing we were going to work together on. Absolutely. Now, Terry, since you started your business in 2005, there's been a huge change in how we use technology in our everyday lives, in business, in the world. How has technology affected the, what you see, particularly in small to mid-sized businesses and maybe in your own work? The, we need to embrace technology, as, as I'm sure you would agree. Technology, uh, most a lot of people shun away from it because it gets too complex with them or whatever. I think that we should use uh, as much of it as we can to help us multitask. I, I don't believe in multitasking. What I believe in is that you can get several things done in a small period of time if you use technology, like uh, CRMs, for an example. If you, any CRM that you can get, you know, can get and put into your company is a great thing because what it does is it helps you keep track of your incoming and outgoing uh, uh, calls and, and communication. Direct marketing uh, is another concept that more people should be uh, involved in. Direct marketing now is up 11 percent. Did you know that? No. Yep. It's up 11 percent now because people don't like. Uh, emails. They are inundated with them. So direct marketing is still a, uh, you know, still a, a viable option out there. We just don't use it as much. I'll give your listeners right now, give them a direct mail idea that will get their piece open uh, better than 85% of the time. Would you like to hear that? Absolutely. Okay. So we all know about these little nine inch poster tubes that you can get at Staples or Office Depot. Yes. Okay. So you get your Post, you get your newsletter, you get your flyer, whatever you want to do, you roll it up, slide it inside that poster tube, and then take a package of Tic Tacs. And you know what, David? Those Tic Tacs slide right in that, that cylinder perfectly, seal it up, put a mailing label on it, mail it, and I guarantee you that eighty better than 80% of the people will open it when they get it. <laughs> That's a great idea. I love it. Little things like that, that, you know, may cost us a couple of dollars to get it to the customer, but how bad do you want the customer to open it? Well said. How much are you willing to spend on a, you know, for a lead? I worked with a guy years ago. He was willing to, to get a lead for, pay $1,000. Now, he wasn't really paying $1,000 for it, but he would uh, take his product that he would sell for $1,000. He'd up it to $2,000, sell the product at the at the show, give the promoter a uh, thousand of the money. And then he had a client that he could sell a coaching program to for seven to $12,000. Yeah. That's not a bad return on your lead investment, is it? Not at all. 
Not at all. So we have to use technology now. It's becoming more and more and more. 80, better than 85% of the people start their buying process online. I was with a, a client earlier today, and I was explaining to him that he's an old school sales type concept. You know, coming. And I said, why would you do that? When the customer is going to look online, they're going to ask you a question. I would say, I don't know. Let's see what let's see what Google has to say about it. Let's see what the website has to say about it. Use that tool to verify that to your customers that you're into third-party validation as well. Right, right. That, hence the the term zero moment of truth when people are doing most of their their initial research about you before they even encounter you, whether it's encountering you one on one digitally or they're encountering you one on one face to face. Exactly. And people do not want to be sold. Nope. You don't want to be sold. I don't want to be sold. But what customers do like to do is, guess what? They like to buy. They like to buy. And they actually like solutions that are going to work to solve the problem that they're paying money for. Exactly. And so when, you know, like we had a rule in, in Radio Shack, it was called a 30 30 30 Two two rule. Thirty seconds from the time they entered the door, you had to ask them an open-ended question. Now, people that are in sales or people that have walk-in business, the first thing is they're going to typically say, "Can I help you?" Well, the response is going to be no because that's what most people say when somebody asks them if they can help them. So, like with my boat uh, company, I, their first question is, uh, "You're going to think this is is very simple, but it is. It's very very. This is how simple things have to be." Or should or can be. So what brings you into the store today, David? Instead of thinking that they're there to buy a boat and to over-assume that they're in there for any other, first, just give them respect. What brings you into the store today? Yeah, it could be that they're just looking for a restroom. It could be. You never know. <laughs> you don't. So first thing is find out why they're there and treat them with respect. And then if they are there to buy something, like in this boat case, when do you see yourself in possession? So now you know how long it's going to take you to put them through your sales process. Exactly. If they want to buy it tomorrow, then that means that they got to get through the sales process and, you know, five different points of it in the next 24 hours. Terry, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or access any of your resources or get in touch with you, where would they go? Two websites, terryogburn.com, easy, terryogburn.com, or ogburnsbusinesssolutions.com. Uh, Ogburns has an S in it, so it's a lot of S's there. So you go there. I'll also be glad to provide them with my my cell number because if anybody wants to talk to me directly, please, here it is, 727-422-4771. I'll spend an hour with you, no charge. Just reach out to me. Go to my website, fill out the contact uh, button, or go to my Ogburns Business Solutions. It's got a coaching, I mean, a, a, a form for that you can fill out for a free coaching. Just go there, fill out the form, reach out to me. We'll spend a half hour, 45 minutes together on a challenge that you may have. I'll give you some solutions. It's like it'd be like a, our own little mini mastermind. Sounds good. Well, Terry, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been the owner of Ogburns Business Solutions, Terry Ogburn. Thank you again, Terry, for joining us. You bet, David, and thank you again for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to combine data and human dynamics to create long-term business success and much more. 
Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.